The scripture reading for this afternoon is taken from Hebrews 12, and you'll be able to find that on page 1,383 of your pew Bible, Hebrews chapter 12. We're reading from Hebrews chapter 12 in connection with the first petition of the Lord's Prayer, hallowed be your name, may your name be made holy. And in connection with that, we'll focus especially on verse 14, the second half of verse 14, which says, pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. We'll be looking at this passage specifically through that lens. So Hebrews chapter 12 Just prior to this, we have that great hall of faith in which it talks about those uh, believers who have come before already in the Old Testament. And the author of the book of Hebrews is directing our eyes to them who, by faith, responded to the Lord's care for them and to the Lord's calling of them and how the Lord was faithful to them. We read in Hebrews chapter 12, Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. You have not yet resisted to to bloodshed, striving against sin, And you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as sons. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? But if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. Furthermore, we have had human fathers who corrected us, and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? For they indeed for a few days chastened us as seemed best to them. But he for our profit, that we may be partakers of his holiness." Now no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterwards, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Therefore, strengthen the hands which hang down and feeble knees, and make straight paths for your feet, so that what is lame may not be dislocated, but rather be healed. Pursue peace with all people, and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble, and by this many become defiled, lest there be any fornicator or profane person like Esau, who for one morsel of food sold his birthright. For you know that afterwards, 
when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected. For he found no place for repentance, though he sought it diligently with tears. For you have not come to the mountain that may be touched, and that burned with fire, and to blackness, and darkness, and tempest, and the sound of a trumpet, and the voice of words, so that those who heard of it begged that the word should not be spoken to them anymore. For they could not endure what was commanded, and if so much as a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned or shot with an arrow. And so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I am exceedingly afraid and trembling. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven, to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. See that you do not refuse him who speaks. For if they did not escape who refused him who spoke on earth, much more shall we not escape if we turn away from him who speaks from heaven, whose voice then shook the earth. But now he has promised, saying, Yet once more I shake not only the earth, but also heaven. Now this yet once more indicates the removal of those things that are being shaken, as of things that are made, that the things which cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear, for our God is a consuming fire. So again, we'll focus on pursue holiness without which no one will see the Lord. We'll also read together from Lord's Day 47, which you'll be able to find on page 561 dealing, of your book of praise dealing with the first petition. What is the first petition? Hallowed be your name. That is, grant us first of all that we may rightly know you, and sanctify, glorify, and praise you in all your works, and which shine forth your almighty power, wisdom, goodness, righteousness, mercy, and truth. Grant us also that we may so direct our whole life, our thoughts, words, and actions, that your name is not blasphemed because of us, but always honored and praised. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Have you ever had a time in which life was not going the way that you had expected? When you had expected perhaps something different from God? What is the response to this that you would expect? Is a call to pursue holiness the first thing that would jump to your mind? Pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. In the book of Hebrews, the author has been describing the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And he's been doing this within the broader context of the world of those who, have been, who are on the receiving end of this letter. 
Some of the Jewish Christians had, become, had begun to wonder if Jesus was really the Christ. They had been suffering and they were wondering if it was truly meant to be this way. After all, life wasn't life meant to be getting easier if the Messiah had come into the world? Wasn't the Jewish world supposed to accept him in great numbers? Wasn't the whole world eventually supposed to turn to God? And yet they weren't. It was depressing. Not only was the world not turning to God, in many cases they were actually turning against him. More and more government laws were being passed that were limiting freedoms. Christians were beginning to face more and more hostility. Earlier, they had been considered to be just another sect of Jews by the Roman government. Already recognizing Jews as an accepted religion, they didn't have much to do with what they considered to be an internal conflict of just one more religion among the countless religions that they had within their borders. So for the first while, the Jews were the only ones that were acting against them. The Sanhedrin, the religious leaders based on the city of Jerusalem, however, didn't let this slow them down at all. They acted quickly to try stomp out Christianity. In the book of Acts, we read how they started out with rebukes and beatings, and then later on moved towards arrests, and then stoning to death. And now, more and more of the world was turning against these believers. And they had these questions. Why was only part of the Jewish world accepting the Messiah? Why was the world turning against him? They were grieved that things weren't happening the way that they had expected them to happen. How could this be? And it's into this confusing time, this time of uncertainty, that the author of the book of Hebrews speaks. He speaks of suffering. And he speaks of the rest that lies ahead. But the greatest comfort that he brings is in the knowledge that the first ten chapters of Hebrews focuses on. The truth of who Jesus Christ is. And then in response the truth of what we are in him. We'll look at this under the following theme as we reflect on our Lord's Day. Holiness, which is first of all, something to be pursued, and second, something to be, something that is given. Pursuing holiness is not something that came alone for the people of God in this letter. For them, this call to pursue holiness was based on something greater. It was based on the explanation of who Jesus Christ was. Christ was not just another man, the author of this book began. He is greater than the angels. He is the greater high priest who, than any other high priest who came before him. He is the very Son of God come in response to prophecy foretold long ago. He was and he is the hope of the world. It was in looking ahead to him that the people of God, even in the Old Testament, were able to find their strength. In faith, they looked to that final day. 
In faith, they looked to the heavenly Jerusalem, the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. The one that Christ himself was able to purchase for them by his perfect sacrifice. The one by whom they themselves were purchased. It's in this hope that you here are sitting in front of us today, having professed your faith. You've professed that you belong to something bigger than yourself, a heavenly kingdom, and that your faith is in the one who has bought you a place in this kingdom. And yet life is uncertain, isn't it? We live in a day and age in which there's so much uncertainty and there's so much growing opposition. More of you young people may have heard this from your parents or grandparents. You know, I wouldn't want to grow up in the day and age that you're growing up in. You are going to have a very hard time of it. We too can confess with the early church that we are strangers and pilgrims here on the earth. Hebrews 11 verse 13. And yet rather than being discouraged, we too are encouraged to run the race that is marked out for us. For those who were receiving the letter to the Hebrews, they were called to do two things in connection with running this race. They were called first to look to Jesus Christ and second to follow him in holiness. And that first point was pretty important for those who were in the early church, those who were facing this difficulty, this opposition, and this persecution. The author to this letter points out that Christ himself also endured hostility from sinners. This is a response to the people receiving this letter to remind them what Christ himself had told them to expect. In John 16, verse 33, he says, These things I have spoken to you. That in me you may have peace. In this world you will have tribulation. Tribulation. Troubles are to be expected in the Christian life. These young Christians ought not to have been surprised at the fact that they were facing these troubles. You who have professed your faith here today will run into the same thing. You have faced troubles. And troubles will continue. And you are aware of this, that simply professing your faith won't change this. There will be people who are hostile. There will be situations that arise in life that are overwhelming. In this world, you will have tribulation. But in Christ, we have peace. In this world, You will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, he says, for I have overcome the world. We can have peace because we, as the first verses of our passage say, fix our eyes on Jesus Christ even in the face of this. We know that he has been elevated to heaven and all authority in heaven and on earth has been placed under his feet. All things are under his rule. In him we can have peace. 
The way to remain in this peace, our passage says, is to follow Jesus Christ in holiness. When we are in Christ, this is what we do. We follow in his footsteps. We do this pursuing holiness. So if we desire to remain in peace, we are called to look to Jesus. And secondly, in doing that, as a natural consequence, we also pursue holiness. Now, to be clear, there's two kinds of peace which, are, which we could refer to. And the one is the eternal one, or big picture. The other one is the picture of this world. There is one in which the children of God have been given the freedom of a right relationship with him. Having been justified, that's to say, declared righteous, through the blood of Christ, we are restored in him. And if we believe in him, if you are sons and daughters of God, nothing can take this away from you. But being sons and daughters of God, we don't just fix our eyes on the big picture, but also we look to our everyday lives. And there's the second kind of remaining in peace. This is the caution that the author of Hebrews directs his, uh, his readers towards. There's a warning here. He calls them, in the face of all this opposition, and in the face of this trial, not to seek peace by compromise, not to try to find peace by focusing on making peace with this world, but rather he directs them in this world to focus on peace with God in the pursuit of holiness. To remember that if we are God's children, God isn't, first of all, interested in our happiness, although that is of importance to him and our happiness will actually flow out of that in the long term. But God is interested in our holiness. And we can see that coming out further in our passage here today in Hebrews 12. It speaks of chastening. Chastening is another word for discipline. And when we walk away from the pursuit of holiness, we know that this is what we receive. Because when we walk away from the pursuit of holiness, we are walking away from peace. So in answer to that question, why is this something that's at the forefront of the lives of these people? Why should this be drawn to their attention when they're focusing, when, 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 they're, when they're worried about all of this pain and sorrow and opposition that they're facing? It's because in pursuing holiness, we pursue God. There is no peace apart from God. No real peace. And we can feel that ourselves when we walk away from God, can't we? We can sense that there's this feeling of a barrier that goes up between us and God when we start going our own way. And frankly, there's a barrier that goes up between ourselves and the world around us as well. Sin has this nasty tendency to cause us to isolate ourselves, whether it be shame or bitterness, pride, or some other unnamed feeling it can cause us to isolate ourselves because the devil finds that that's the easiest way to prey on people. 
But in these days, when God brings us to the awareness of these actions and when the consequences of them start coming to light, there's pain. And that pain that God allows to be brought into our life is the discipline of the Lord. But for us, we cannot take our eyes off of the reason for our wrestling. We cannot take our eyes off of its purpose. The main aim of our wrestling is to cause us to rest. To rest not in our money, not in our reputation, not in our relationships, but to rest in our God. The main purpose of the pursuit of holiness is to rest in the Lord. And this brings us to our second point. This is something that is given. Now some, when they read the passage that's our focus for today, pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. They can think, this seems pretty us-based. I need to pursue holiness or else I won't see the Lord. Isn't God asking a lot of us? Now, if you were to leave it at that passage without looking at it in context, that may very well leave you asking these kinds of questions. And if that was all there was to it, then it would leave these Hebrew Christians who were receiving this letter in a pretty difficult place. It would leave them in a pretty depressing place, for that matter. On top of having to stand firm in the face of all this persecution, the author of this letter tells them that they won't see the Lord if they don't have holiness. Now, if it was completely dependent on them, this might be true. But here is where we see the doctrine of God's sovereignty coming out so beautifully. The doctrines of God's sovereignty and the doctrines of man's responsibility meshing together. Man is responsible for his own sin, it's true. And when God calls man to faith, when God calls man to action, and man rebels against that calling, the responsibility for that falls directly on man. The Bible teaches us this. We are also called to repent, to pursue holiness, to circumcise our hearts, as we find it described in the language of the Old Testament. Deuteronomy 10, verse 16. Our God calls us to this. But here's where the greater beauty of God's grace becomes clear. Because what God demands, God also will supply. What God demands, God also will supply. And when God calls his people to holiness, to be set apart, to walk according to a new way of life, he also will supply. You brothers and sisters who have professed your faith, As you've heard many times, this is just the beginning of your journey. What you've professed here today is just the beginning of learning to love the Lord more deeply and to know him more richly. It's the beginning of a journey in which the Lord will let you grow in holiness, in which he directs you along these paths as he disciplines you and as he directs you. You will face trials. You will face difficulties. You'll stumble and fall, falling back into sin. 
There will be times when you, like the rest of us, will leave the way of holiness behind. And then you won't feel at peace with God. Your heart will be in turmoil inside of you. But that won't be the end of the road for you. There will be times also when you face difficulties that are not of your own making. Difficulties that are the result of someone else's actions or the environment that you live in. But that won't be the end of the road for you there either. Hebrews teaches us that in all of these things, God is there. He is there shaping and forming you through these things. Putting your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Coming to God time and time again. He is there directing your heart to greater holiness. Directing you on the path of peace with him. And this is what the Heidelberg Catechism encourages us towards with the words, hallowed be your name. It points out that we pray that God would bring us to know him for who he is. He is sovereign. He is holy and righteous. And in coming to him in Christ, if we do come to him in Christ, leaning on Christ and Christ alone, we ourselves are brought to become partakers of that holiness. And he himself will continue to let us grow in being partakers of that holiness as well. Knowing that it's him who makes us holy is a huge comfort to us. Because then our sufferings become for us not a reason for grumbling or for fear, but a reason for praise. Why no fear? Well, as we read in Hebrews, we haven't come to a God who is terrifying to us in his holiness. Israel experienced this terror on Mount Sinai as the Lord gave, him, gave them his law. And truly, God in his holiness would and should be terrifying to those who stand against him. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. But as we see, we are partakers in that holiness. We are brought to be partakers in that holiness. And so we don't share in the fear of the people who faced God and stood terrified in the face of his purity, his righteousness, and their own sin in relation to that. Because as we come to Jesus Christ, we are reminded that we are washed clean. We are sprinkled in the cleansing blood of Jesus. And to be sprinkled in this way, as we read in verse 24, was to be made holy. It's the language of an Old Testament ceremony here, being sprinkled in the blood of Jesus. It's the language of an Old Testament ceremony that was a picture of washing away with sins. When the priest would sprinkle the people with the blood of the sacrifice, it would be a symbol that they were wash, would be washed clean. It's Christ who washes us clean. Just as the sprinkling of the blood of the pe on the people in the Old Testament was a picture of them being washed clean, so too does the blood of Jesus Christ give us the reality of being washed clean, of being made holy 
of being set apart. So as we pray the first petition, hallowed be your name, we recognize that our God is holy and that because he is holy, we are called to pursue holiness in this world as well. Without holiness, none of us will see the Lord. And yet we confess that we depend on him for it. And through Christ, we are confident that he is the one who brings it to us. And so we pray that not only would he grant us to rightly know him so that we can stand firm in this confidence, but that he would direct our whole life, that his name would not be blasphemed because of us, but always honored and praised that he would transform our hearts so that our whole life would be geared towards living in holiness, in a response of faith to what he has done for us. And we're not alone in this pursuit. This too is what you here today are confessing and have confessed. This is what all of us can be reminded of again. We are here as a body We are here joined together as members of one body with Christ as our head. And so we walk alongside each other, praying that God would hallow his name not only in our lives, but in the lives of all those whom we come into contact with as well. Fixing our eyes on Jesus himself as we walk in his footsteps. Jesus Christ himself who makes all of this possible for us. Looking ahead to that final day, that day that we stand firm in the conviction of, in verse 28, that day in which we look ahead to a kingdom which cannot be shaken, we will receive in him a kingdom which cannot be shaken. Amen.